Welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'm Shell. And I'm Lisa. And this is episode 25. Woo-hoo. So before we get started, we are recording remotely this week as BC has gone back into some more restrictions with COVID. So if there are any audio technical difficulties, which I don't think there will be because I think we got this sorted out. I think so. Just bear with us. Yeah. Give us a break. Yeah, please. And I have our Apple podcast review of the week. So this review is from Mornings to Myself, and it says, scary movies aren't my jam, but this is. First off, it's all Canadian crime, and the two narrators' voices aren't annoying at all. They explain so many theories and try to stay unbiased until they can't anymore when it's so obvious who the murderer is. They've helped me learn a lot about how the judicial system works in Canada and how to stay away from rapists. (laughs) I mean, hey, if there's one thing we can take away from the podcast, like, let it be that. Let it be that. This is my favorite podcast to listen to for my morning coffee. Thanks, Shell and Lisa. Aw. Well, thank you, mornings to myself. Thank you. I'm glad we can teach you some tips. Yeah, right? Like the brass knuckle with the oh yeah the, with keys. the keys yeah. yeah so good. So the first time I heard of this story, I almost couldn't believe it. In Canada, there are very few cases that have released evidence tapes and interrogations and nine one one calls, but this one has all of it and more. There are over ten hours of footage that paints a picture of a young girl who was such a compulsive liar that she believed the fantasy world that she was living in. And she used every means necessary to keep her world the way she wanted it to be, even though it was all a lie. This is the story of a golden child who looked like she had everything good going for her, a supportive family, a career trajectory that was taking off, and a life in the big city of Toronto. But underneath this shiny exterior was a web of lies and deception. This young girl was living a double life for years, and when she couldn't handle it any longer, she cracked. She wanted a way out, and she masterminded a deadly plan that would lead her to making the biggest mistake of her life, with her family's blood on her hands. This is the story of Jennifer Pan. Take it away, girl. Jennifer Pan had a seemingly perfect life. Growing up in Markham, Ontario, just north of Toronto, Jennifer was smart, quirky, and easy to get along with. She went to Catholic school and was a social butterfly who had friends in multiple circles. She got straight A's, she won scholarships, and she was expected to be valedictorian of her high school graduating class. Her parents were thrilled with their daughter. Her mom, Beek Pan, and her dad, Han Pan, were Vietnamese refugees who immigrated to Canada to start a better life for themselves and their family. Beek and Han were frugal, so they could save for their children's futures, encouraging Jennifer and her younger brother, Felix, to do well in school and engage in extracurriculars like figure skating, piano, martial arts, and swimming. 
There's a lot of buzz online of Jennifer's parents being classic tiger parents, putting a lot of pressure and expectations on their children to succeed to a high degree. So a lot of times this parenting style is used because prominently in Asian societies, a high level of education equals better career opportunities. So Jennifer and Felix wouldn't have to go through the type of poverty that their parents experienced. And it's a tricky subject and many people have different views and parenting styles. I am not a mother, so I'm not here to say how one should parent their children. I just have to believe that Beek and Han were doing the best that they could and they truly wanted the world for their children. Right. But there was pressure at home for Jennifer to succeed in her education to the best of her abilities. While Jennifer was in high school, she wasn't allowed to date, even though she wanted to or go to parties, or school dances, or drink before she had graduated. So no I- No dances? Yeah, no dances, Man. nothing, right? It's all I the best love, things. I love those school dances. You know how bad I want to go dancing right now? So badly. <laughs> I know. Well, Jennifer doesn't even know what she's missing, so. Yeah, she's she has no idea. She exactly. really doesn't. So I assume that her parents believed that once she was on her own in university, like she'd have plenty of opportunities to, you know, hang out, go do what she wants to do. Right. But high school was the time to set the standards and the ground rules while she was living under their roof. And Jennifer, she rose to the occasion. After graduating from Catholic school with amazing grades, she had early acceptance to Ryerson University in Toronto, where she completed two years of a science degree. She then transferred into the University of Toronto's prestigious pharmacology program, which is exactly what her dad hoped she'd do. Nice. And she also started working as a volunteer at a blood testing lab at SickKids Hospital. So she would actually drive the 30 minutes home to see her parents on the weekend, filling them in on her stories of college life, her volunteer work, and her classes. But at 24 years old, everything just started to unravel for Jennifer, and her entire family began to see her for who she truly was, a compulsive liar. Oh no. On November 8th, 2010, a 911 call came into police about a home invasion taking place. The Pan residence had been broken into by four male gunmen demanding, I know, demanding all of the money that they had in the house. They said, where's the money? We want money. They tied Jennifer up and they took her parents down to the basement. Felix, Jennifer's brother, actually wasn't home at the time. He was studying for his degree at McMaster. After four or five gunshots from upstairs, tied up, Jennifer places the call for help. What? And I have the 911 call. Oh, God.
that's actually very disturbing yeah so disturbing those screams i know god so she's saying that she was tied up behind her back yeah we're tied behind her back and her phone is in her pocket how how i know calling the cops yeah the first time i heard this it just sounded a little bit off to me and like we said hearing her dad so her dad is screaming in the background Mm -hmm. and he sounds like it's close by not downstairs where she says that they took her parents yeah but i was always confused how she got her phone when she was tied up yeah i'm like what do you mean yeah Yeah. how did how did you get it how did you call the cops then Mm mm-hmm So police arrive quickly to the Pan's house in Markham, where Han had a gunshot wound to his head and his shoulder. Oh my god. I know. So he had gone unconscious after he was shot, but he came to while Jennifer was on the phone with police. And that's when we hear him screaming. Whoa. So he was in total shock, but luckily he was still alive. But Beek, Jennifer's mother, had suffered fatal injuries. She was shot three times in the head at close range. Oh my god. The gunman had put blankets over Beek and Han's heads to try and muffle the sound of the gunshots and reduce blood spatter. Does that work though? Uh, I don't think so, but that's what what happened. There was like a blanket over her head when they found her. Han was taken to the hospital, and Jennifer was questioned by police about the home invasion. She said that one of the men tied one of her hands behind her back with a shoelace and then tied her to the banister. What? I guess she, like, it's so confusing. Like, I tried to figure out how she was tied because, in my opinion, if your hands are tied behind your back, so then, but then why would they only tie one of her hands and then her other one to the banister? If it's behind your back, you can move. Like, you're not, it's not behind your back, technically. You know what I mean? Like, if your hand is back here, tied to the banister, banister. you can go like this, and then like you can straighten move. out your arm. Right. Like yeah. you, can, you can move 180 degrees around because this arm is the only thing attached to the banister. So right. there's not quite a bit of range of motion if that's how she was tied up. So it's confusing why they wouldn't tie her up better. Me, with both hands. Yeah. Or why they left her alive right why why just kill the parents and then leave her exactly Hmm. so jennifer tells the police that she couldn't remember anything about the intruders or what they were wearing just that one of them had dreadlocks okay and like as far as we know she's been conscious this whole time so she can't remember anything like is that just because you're in shock and you just blank out Maybe. 
So as police investigated the scene, their suspicions started to rise right away. Some things just didn't make sense about the robbery and the motive behind wanting money. There was $200 left in Beek's wallet, and the expensive cars in the garage were untouched. A Lexus and a Mercedes, and the keys were in plain sight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not adding up at all. Also, the men killed Beek, and they thought that they were successful in killing Han, even though they weren't. So again, why would they leave a witness, Jennifer, upstairs and unharmed? Wow. And... Why did Han run out of the house instead of upstairs to look for his daughter? No shit. No no parent would. No, of course not. So Han was actually taken to the hospital and put in an induced coma. So at first, the police only had Jennifer's word to go by. But when he woke up and spoke to police, Han painted a very different picture of what happened to him, his wife, and Jennifer that evening. And what the police heard from Han put all of the missing pieces together. Oh my god. He woke woke up. up. Oh yeah. He (sighs) is alive and well today. Oh my god. I know. Okay, give it to me. Underneath Jennifer's shiny, successful exterior was something darker. There was something about Jennifer that just wasn't adding up. And her parents had found out what it was. Before the invasion and the murder, Jennifer had raised some suspicions with her mom, Beek. Remember how Jennifer had said she was volunteering at SickKids Hospital? Yeah. Well, Beek noticed that she didn't have an ID badge or a uniform. So when Jennifer left one day to go volunteer, her mom actually followed her. What? Just to see if she was actually telling the truth. That's so weird though that your mom would be that suspicious of you. Yeah, and people change when they get to work. And like, my parents would never ask me where my hospital ID is. I know. I guess they were still sort of monitoring her. Very, yeah, very involved. Yes. And they would also drop her off at work or they would drive her places. So I think they were starting, some suspicions were starting to raise. Mm -hmm. And this is when her parents found out that there was actually no volunteering at SickKids. There was no Ryerson, and there was no University of Toronto Pharmacology program. Shut up. Jennifer didn't even graduate high school. What? What? Jennifer was living a complete double life. I'm so confused right now. Didn't you say she was going to be the valedictorian? Like, was she? Well, because you can't graduate if you're you can't do that if you don't graduate. She never ended up being valedictorian, but she was always projected to be the valedictorian because everyone thought how smart and how great she was. But if you're not if you can't graduate, they won't even let you dress up in your cap and gown. They won't let you walk around with your gown on. You know what I mean? Like you don't participate in those activities if you're not graduating. So her parents just think that she just didn't want to go to these events. So she had crafted lies upon lies upon lies. So I think for graduation, she actually just said that there weren't enough tickets. And yeah, and just created more lies. So for years, like this 
goes on for years. She's, she's like 24 now. Yeah. And she's been, this has happened since she's been in high school. She has wow. been lying. So when her grades started to slip from A's to B's to C minuses in high school, Jennifer forged her grades on her report cards and brought oh. them home to her parents. Classic. Her early acceptance letter to Ryerson was revoked after she didn't graduate because she failed calculus. She even doctored an acceptance letter to U of T and told her parents that she won scholarships. Oh my God. All lies. Wow. Jennifer bought secondhand textbooks and notebooks that she filled to make it look like she was studying and in school. But actually, Jennifer was spending her days at coffee shops, teaching piano lessons, and working in a restaurant to make money. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's nothing even wrong with that. Like, if that's the path you wanted to choose, just tell your parents, like, you know, I'm not going into pharmaceuticals like you wanted me to. Yep. But she couldn't do that. She had to lie. And where was Jennifer living this whole time? Yeah. Well, she was with her boyfriend. Daniel Wong, who was her high school sweetheart, and her parents knew nothing about him at all. Right, because she wasn't allowed to date in high school. No, she was not. (gasps) So Jennifer and Daniel actually met on a school trip to Europe. So Jennifer had begged her parents to let her go to this trip when she was in her junior year of high school. And while she was on the trip, she actually had an asthma attack. And apparently, Daniel came to her rescue, helping her to slow down her breathing. And it was then that she fell in love with him. Right. Her savior, her Her hero. Yeah. And probably had, like, the first time a guy really pay her attention attention. and, you know, young love. Yeah. Daniel and Jennifer had to keep their relationship a secret from her parents because Daniel was actually a low-level drug dealer, mostly weed. <gasps> and so, I mean, he would definitely not make a suitable boyfriend in Jennifer's in their eyes. Yeah, no. exactly. So they snuck around and kept it a secret from everyone. When Han and Beek found out about their daughter's deception, they gave her an ultimatum. So they said, move back in with them, finish up high school, and stop seeing Daniel because they thought he was a bad influence. Okay. Or go with Daniel, do whatever you want, or you will never see us again and you'll be cut off financially. Like completely shunned. Yeah. So they gave her option A or option B. Well, that's pretty, that's like hardcore tough love. It is tough love. That's like, it's pretty intense. So she did end up choosing her family and she moved back home. Okay. This is when Jennifer cracked and she created another option for herself. She blamed her parents for everything, and she hatched a plan with Daniel that would end up tearing her family apart and leaving her mother dead. Super unnecessary. So unnecessary. Jesus. Just run like, away then. Just come on. Then. Just run away. But she can't because she needs money. She doesn't have any money. Use your boyfriend's freaking drug money and you'll be fine. So the police interviewed Jennifer three separate times, and the interrogation tapes are hours and hours long. Like, they're like four or five hours each. Yeah. So I have a clip of Detective Bill Getz with Jennifer, and Bill Getz is an expert at detecting deception. So throughout the tape, he is stern, but he gains her trust 
And then he flips the tables on her to try and get a confession. So he knows that she's lying. And he knows this because of her dad's testimony, too. But she doesn't know that he's awake and talking yet. I think that she knows that he's awake, but she's still trying to keep to her story. Like, each time that she's been questioned, she's been saying, you know, the only thing I remember is one man had dreadlocks. You know, I'm so confused. I heard these five pops. Like, she kind of sticks to her same story yeah, over and over that she right. has no idea what's going on. Playing dumb. Playing dumb, exactly. It's almost easier to just say, like, I don't remember than to just start fabricating things and then you get caught in your lies because those details start to change the more you're asked Mm -hmm. so I wonder if just like don't say anything at all and like you can't get caught yeah and in these interrogation tapes she looks so much younger than 24 really she has you know she looks like she could be maybe like 15 or 16 oh wow and she's got her hair braided into the side and she like keeps playing with her braid over and over and she just she cries anytime the detective mentions her mom like she's really trying to make herself seem small seem like the victim innocent yes innocent and just like continuously repeating her same story i'm gonna play you a clip from her final interrogation tape so at the end of the day, from this case, and I can tell you I've spent literally a week on this case going over information after information, accessing all these sources, speaking to every other expert on the case, okay? And at this point, Jennifer, I know that you've not been truthful with the police, okay? You've not told us everything that you know purposely, okay, and that you've left information out, okay, there's a number of inconsistencies in what you've told the police, okay, one of the things you have to remember is that your dad was there, okay, and your dad had a front row seat to all of this, okay, and your dad's a very smart man, okay, And he has a very clear perception of what's going on. And he tells a very truthful story because I've gone through this whole process with him. Okay, I've had to do the same thing. And I know he's being truthful. Okay? The problem is that your story, what you're telling is not truthful. Okay? And we have to clear this up. Yeah, so he knows. Yeah. He is trying to crack her right now yeah like just say it yeah and you know she or i guess the intruders as well weren't expecting her dad to live right they thought he was dead because he was unconscious shot in the head he was shot in the head yeah in the shoulder yeah two two shots yeah no one's expecting somebody to survive a shot to the head no my god so after two and a half hours with detective getz Jennifer finally says to him, what happens to me? Oh, you little shit. I know. She cracks. She breaks. Wow. Yep. So she ends up, you know, telling him that she was complicit in the plan and she doesn't fully admit to anything else, but she starts to open up and starts to tell more of the truth 
which is what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So the detective finally determines that on the night of the murder, it was actually Jennifer who unlocked the door for the intruders to enter. Her dad, Han, testified to police saying that while him and his wife Beek were tied up, Jennifer was chatting with the men casually and walking around the house freely. They knew that Jennifer knew the men personally. So was there, was it two men? There were four men. Four? So it was four men. Holy shit. Yep, it was four men. Can you just imagine being tied up as a parent and seeing like coming to that realization that your daughter yeah like you're looking around and she's like not scared she's not screaming she's not yelling at them to untie her parents like you're kind of like what what the fuck what's going on doing Yeah. yeah it's awful so after looking through jennifer's phone records as well police also knew that jennifer was the mastermind behind the entire plan so she was in contact with the intruders. They end up finding out who they are. She was texting with a guy called Homeboy and paid him $10,000. So she wanted her parents dead so that she could have the inheritance money, which would be around half a million dollars and be free to live with Daniel. Wow, classic. Oh, it's so, it's so classic. It's of course, just, you're gonna go for the inheritance money. Right? Yeah. Oh my god. And Daniel was actually one of the intruders. He was part of the plan all along. So it was him, the guy called Homeboy, whose name is Lenford, and two of Lenford's associates. And they're like also drug dealers. Yeah, I'm assuming this was all of his drug buddies. Exactly. And this 10 grand must have come from Daniel. Yep. I'm pretty sure that they did it together, or I think she contributed some, but... It was all there in the phone records. Wow. Jennifer ends up admitting to playing a part in this whole scheme to the detective. But she also says that her actual plan was for the intruders to kill her and not her parents. Oh, fuck off. To me, this doesn't make sense. No, why would you pay somebody to kill you? Right? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's so dumb. Why? Like, she just wanted to live her life with Daniel. Like, why would you... Why? Yeah. No. No, 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 no. I guess, like, what she was trying to say by that is that Daniel had, you know, moved on. And because, like, it was getting too tough to date with her parents' restrictions. And so he was, like, dating someone else. And she was, like, creating all these stories to try and get him back. But, I mean, in the end, like, it seems like he wasn't moving on that much because he was still wanting to be with her. Yeah. And, like, crafted this whole plan. So, it, and again, like, no. killing herself just doesn't make sense. No, I do not accept that. And no, me neither. <laughs> and neither did anyone else. No yeah. one accepted that. So, Jennifer was arrested by the detective for first-degree murder, attempted murder, and conspiracy to commit murder. During her trial, she stuck to her same story. She told the jury that she wanted homeboy and his crew to kill her and not her parents what an idiot like how is her lawyer like going along with this and saying yeah you know what this is a really good strategy let's let's go with this story super believable good right 
Yep. And you know what? The jury didn't buy it. So Jennifer Pan was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. I know. Daniel Wong and Homeboy were found guilty as well on the exact same charges. Okay. And one of them just like... Yeah, I couldn't find out about the other two. So I think the other two associates, one didn't actually... I think Homeboy and Daniel were the ones who actually committed the murder. But a driver, yeah, that kind of thing. I'm not sure about them, but I'm sure they got charged for something. Mm -hmm. It's a sad case. I mean, she ends up, you know, losing her mom. She tried to kill both of her parents and create this elaborate plan she's lied to herself for so many years Mm -hmm. and this this is how it ends up at the core of it like this girl fucking lied for Mm -hmm. like 10 years of her life Mm -hmm. can you imagine like for 10 years you constantly tell other people that you are not who you actually are well it's like almost been so long that she probably just started to believe it herself you did right totally and after the trial her dad, Han, says, When I lost my wife, I lost my daughter at the same time. I hope my daughter, Jennifer, thinks about what happened to her family and can become a good, honest person someday. Yeah. I know. But I still and feel like he still wants her to, like, I don't to think be that, good. that style of parenting, I know that there's a lot, like, of parenting styles out there, but I still don't mm-hmm. see them as being awful parents no he still has like that little bit of you can tell like a bit of forgiveness deep down like i hope that you i hope you learn from this and that you can come out of this as a better person right even though she destroyed her family and her poor brother i know who like has no idea off at university and comes home to what if he had come home that day like, I don't know how far away McMaster is from Markham, Ontario, but, like, what if he had just decided to come home? I Could know. You imagine? Oh, my God. And, like, her dad now has to live with that betrayal and that mm-hmm. loss of his wife as well. Yeah. It's just, that's so traumatizing. And, like, I can't believe that he was able to recall the events after being shot in the head. Like, his memory wasn't affected. His speech wasn't affected. Yeah, that's crazy. He knew. And that's why, when you think of it, how he ran outside instead of running up to his daughter because he knew that she was responsible. He was running away from her. It, this is a really sad case. It's actually similar to Jasmine Richardson totally. that we covered earlier this year, which is like a daughter plotting to kill her family to escape with a boy she loves. Totally. But Jasmine yeah. was 12. Mm-hmm. She was much younger. Like Jennifer's 24. She's an adult. She can make her own decisions. And this is what she chose to do. Mm-hmm. So some say that Jennifer suffered from mental illness. Some say that the pressure that her parents put on her caused her to break. But other people online have said like they have, there's a whole Reddit thread dedicated to talking about tiger parenting. And mm-hmm. it, it was really interesting to read because the consensus is that even other people's experience with strict parenting, they would never choose a path that would lead their family into death. Like, right. they would just never go there. Right. Like, you, you know? would just remove yourself from the family if it was that bad. It's yeah. not something that would actually drive you to kill them. No. Like, you hated them. 
literally, literally felt nothing for them that you were going to kill them for their inheritance money. Like that's like you literally have no emotion. And again, like her dad's testimony saying that his daughter was talking with them beforehand, like chatting casually, mm-hmm. means that she knew what was going to happen mm-hmm. and didn't stop it. She right. She didn't to... have like a second, like, you know, last chance to like change your mind kind of like she went through with it. She went through with it. Yep. And I think the only person to blame here is Jennifer. 100%. So with Jennifer behind bars for a really long time to try and reconcile with what she's done, we are no longer wondering whose crime is it anyway? Thanks again for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? We'll be back next week with our next case. And if you have Instagram, follow us at Who's Crime Podcast. And we're also on Twitter at Who's Crime Pod. Bye. Doodles.